you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Susan Rosen. And today, my guest is Dr. John Neustadt. And he is a naturopathic doctor. Is that right? That is correct. MD? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm never sure, but I know it's now. I know that. Never mind. Um, he is the founder and president of Nutritional Biochemistry Inc. Dr. Neustadt earned his naturopathic medical degree from Bastyr University, which is a very well-known and respected um, play edu- place of education, where he was awarded the Founders Award for Academic and Clinical Excellence. And Dr. Neustadt has published more than 100 medical articles written for, for, as in the number, health and wellness books, and is now a number one Amazon bestselling author in the field of osteoporosis, which we will be talking about. His most recent book is Fracture Proof Your Bones, a Comprehensive Guide to Osteoporosis. And Dr. Neustadt was also an editor of the textbook. Laboratory Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine, which was used across the U.S. to train and educate physicians on using functional medicine with their patients. And he is here to talk to us today, mostly about osteoporosis, but there'll probably be other things that'll kind of come in from the sidelines. So welcome. And I'm assuming you don't mind if I call you John and not. No, that's great. And I I would just like (laughs) love to add to my, my bio that wasn't mentioned. I'm also on the corporate advisory round table for the bone health and osteoporosis foundation, which was previously the national osteoporosis foundation, but they Uh, rebranded last year. Um, And I'm the vice president currently of my state medical association. Great. Great. And that's what I assume. Is that just a U.S. organization or is it international? The Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation is a U.S. organization. Okay. 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 Um, So we were talking a little bit before I turned on the record button. Um, And we were talking about how the majority of people who get osteoporosis are women, which I think everybody kind of assumes, but that there is a certain percentage of, of men who get it as well. Um, and so we'll talk about that a little as we get, you know, into, into the program. So why don't we start off by talking about what, if there are age areas where it's for women in particular, you know, that are, um, higher where, where the risk goes up, um, and, why that is so the, the majority of cases are mm-hmm. in what's called postmenopausal osteoporosis, which occurs, mm-hmm. as the name indicates, in women 
as they go through and are postmenopausal. The fastest rate of bone loss is during menopause and for the 10 years after. Now, as we're growing up, you know, we're babies and we're going through our teens and our 20s. That's the time in our lives when bone reaches their maximum bone density. And then from about the age of 30, 33, you know, or so on mm-hmm. bone, we start to lose bone minerals or bone density. Okay. Now that's an important point and distinction because people have probably heard about a bone density test. A bone density test only measures the mineral component of the bone. But as we'll get into, I'm sure there are other important parts of the bone that contribute to bone strength. It's not just the minerals, but as women get older and as men get older, that's when the increase for osteoporosis and most dangerously osteoporotic fractures increases. Ah, okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think, and I'm just guessing because I have not done a survey to find to you know, <laughs> to say that this is w- one way or the other, you probably can, can correct me if my assumption is incorrect, which is that most people, unless they actually know closely know someone who's had osteoporosis, don't really understand that much about it. They, they, they know about it on a general kind of general level they probably know that women get it more often than men. They probably know the age, the ages, right? But that's probably the end of, of their knowledge unless, like I say, unless they know personally someone who has and, and it. You're, you're right. One of my missions and passions is speaking on this topic and educating people and raising awareness about it. You know, there, there is an osteoporosis awareness month that occurs in May, but there aren't oh. campaigns like breast cancer where you've got the pink ribbon or big, big budget marketing yeah. pushes to, yeah. to raise awareness for this. And this money. Is a, and money. There's a, this is a silent disease that typically doesn't have any symptoms until mm-hmm. suddenly somebody breaks a bone. That is frequently the first sign that they have osteoporosis. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, despite the recommendations from the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force and other medical organizations, that women should get screened with a bone density test for osteoporosis, the vast majority of patients who are eligible to get screened are not getting screened. And so what happens Mm -hmm. is they break a bone, and then that oftentimes is the indication of the doctor saying, oh, well, let's get a bone density test when it's too late. You know, that bone yeah. density test should have been done yeah. years before. And, uh-huh. and so it is a silent disease. There isn't enough awareness about that. And I thank you. Thank you for having me on your program because yeah. I'm hoping to do my part to raise this awareness because it is a deadly condition. If every 30 seconds, somebody with osteoporosis somewhere breaks a bone. If you are have osteoporosis and you break a hip, there's up to about a 36% chance that you're going to be dead within a year. And if you survive that, about half of those people who survive never regain their full level of pain-free mobility to enjoy their life that they had Mm -hmm. before. And in fact, if you're a woman who's 45 years old, your risk for breaking a bone due to osteoporosis is actually greater than your combined risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancer. Wow. But people aren't aware of it. 
And I hope to, to shine, shine a light on this and not just shine a light, but help people understand what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and starting from that point, how, what are the, because the numbers have to be going up then after that, right? They are getting Mm -hmm. worse and, and worse. I mean, you get through that age and then maybe you hit 50 or you hit 60. Correct. And the age, the population is aging. There's now more people over the age of 65 around the world than younger than five years old. And so we're looking over the next 10 years of a tsunami, a tidal wave of new cases coming along. And unfortunately, People aren't getting screened. There was one study that showed that 95% of Medicare patients who are eligible for screening weren't getting a bone density test. Really? And there's no oh. specialty that is yeah, for just for this disease, like there is for cardiovascular disease or kidney disease. There isn't. And so it's the general practice physician and general practice doctors who are the ones who are the first line at screening with this and ordering these tests. They're not ordering them. They don't understand largely what the indications are for ordering the test, who should be screened and when. And then there's a lot of confusion about what to do even with the test results, how to interpret them and apply them. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know um, my husband and I are both Medicare and um, belong to Kaiser. I'm sure you're familiar being in oh, yeah. California. Yes. That you're Kaiser's familiar an with Kaiser system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they, you don't have a, I mean, well, you always have a choice, right? But they set you up. It's just on a regular basis. They, they tell you, okay, go make yourself an appointment. You've got, you know, you're due for yeah, Kaiser is one of the better systems, I believe, in the country for doing that. And they tend to be more attuned to preventative medicine and preventative testing. Um, as is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. And <laughs> I hate to maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't say this on a recorded thing, <laughs> but I was saying, you know, a lot of it, and and it and it's okay because I I profit from it, right? Which is that a lot of it is they're trying to make sure that their price that their expenses don't go up. It's cheaper to go get somebody a test. Right. Well, and I, I don't have, and, and and I don't have a problem with it. I think that yeah. that it, that a, a business that is being run effectively and efficiently and within the healthcare system right. will recognize that preventative medicine in the long run is much yeah. more cost effective than waiting till right. somebody has a traumatic situation or a serious disease and having to treat that. Yeah, I, I think good medicine can yeah. be good business. And I think Kaiser, mm-hmm. from my understanding, is doing it mm-hmm. better than many other, many other yeah. systems. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would tend, I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree. You know, they're like any business, you know, it's got it certain things that you're like, Oh, really? <laughs> but, well, but that's, the reality you know, is that's there, part of being in business. There's no perfect system. No. which is why it's really important that people become educated about what they need about their That's bodies, right. about their health That's right. so that they can advocate for themselves in my book, yes. fracture proof your bones repeatedly in the different chapters, I'm providing questions for people to ask their doctors mm. so they can make sure they're getting okay. the best information yeah. so they can make the best decision. There is a mm-hmm. concept I review in the book and I think it's important to mention here called uh-huh. informed consent. Every doctor learns about the concept of informed consent. Informed consent mm-hmm. means that you have told the patient 
um, what the treatment option is, mm-hmm. what an alternative to, to that is, what the risks are so mm-hmm. that they, the patient can make the best choices for themselves. The challenge is when it comes to osteoporosis, most doctors, when it comes to their recommendations, they're only treating the number on the test, a bone density oh. test. Okay. But the reality is the most important question to ask is, well, if that number changes on the test or with that test result, how well does that predict my risk for fractures? Because that's the most mm. dangerous thing with the disease. The, mm-hmm. We've known since the 1990s that a bone density test predicts less than half of people who will actually break a bone for women. We've known since tooth and men, since uh, I believe the study came out in 2008, that a bone Mm. density test only predicts uh, 40, about 41, 44% of women with osteoporosis who will break a bone and only 21% of men. And yet that is almost exclusively what is being treated is the number on the yeah. test. Every organization that's looked at the, the data has correctly concluded that fracture risk is predominantly due to other things besides bone density. Bone density is just one small piece. It's an important uh, piece of the puzzle, but too often it's overemphasized. Okay. Yeah, that's and so, the only, yeah. Right. And so what I like to educate people about, no matter what the recommendation is, it's a medication. For example, the question is, has it been shown to to reduce my risk of a fracture in somebody with my medical history? Okay. Meaning if you've okay. never had a fracture before, does it prevent okay. a first fracture? What the research shows and the studies show, the most common medications to be prescribed, the oral bisphosphonates, for example, do not prevent both a, a, a vertebral and hip fracture if you've never had them before. And a hip fracture is the most dangerous. So they, okay. they have been shown to prevent a primary or first vertebral fracture, but not a hip fracture. And so most doctors aren't aware of that. They're just prescribing these medications and they see the bone density test results go up and the doctor's happy, the patient's happy. So everybody goes away happy and the patient is woefully underprotected or not, not protected. And in fact, uh, more research, more recent study came out and concluded that the changes in a bone density test are not a good indicator for whether a not, whether or not an osteoporosis medication is going to be effective at preventing a fracture. Okay. Okay. So are there, are there a number of different medications and mm. that are for particular parts of the body or for overall, or, you know, I mean, what is. So not, not for particular parts of the body, but there are some medications that are, that are better than others in certain situations. So if the only medication that's been shown to prevent a primary Uh hip and vertebral fracture, that means if you've never had one before is intravenous Zometa, that's a bisphosphonate, intravenous bisphosphonate called Zometa Uh or Zolendric acid. Now, if you've had a fracture before and you're trying so to like prevent anywhere an, or an just those, those an, an os- anywhere, an osteoporotic fracture in your arm, your wrist, your oh, leg, okay. and you're okay. trying to, pre- and you've already had one, you're trying to prevent a second or third fracture with osteoporosis. Then what the research shows is those medications are more effective at preventing subsequent fractures from occurring. Okay. And there are different types of medications 
and different cat, they have different mechanisms of actions. And so some mm. of them are more effective at preventing fractures. Some are less effective. Okay. Um, the side effect profiles are different. There's a whole chapter in my book on osteoporosis uh-huh. medications that can help right. people get the information to make the best decision. But there's things that they can yeah. do beyond medications with diet, mm. lifestyle, exercise, dietary supplements to promote bone health to improve mm-hmm. their bone health, maintain bone strength and improve their bone density. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've only had one fracture in my life and it had nothing to do with osteoporosis. It, helped. it had to do, <laughs> do with tripping and landing on my shoulder and it broke my collarbone. Um, so, you know, that, that was not, um, that was just because of how I fell. And yeah. Um, so, but, I guess what came to mind when you were talking about that is that, and and you, I know you wrote a book, but we can't send the book to everybody <laughs> for free. <laughs> um, although maybe, but it is a good investment in their health. And they can, and they but I do recommend people get a copy of yeah. the book because oh, it no. is a, an important investment in their health. I I totally agree, and I'm going to go buy it when we're done, for sure. Um, now I lost train of thought. Anyways, okay, let me ask you a different question. Is is there any kind of um, like, for instance, my mother had osteoporosis? Does that make me at higher risk for having that it? Is a, that is, is a great there... question. So, in the list of risks for osteoporosis, a family history of osteoporosis is on that list. So, if you're a woman and your mother had osteoporosis, and I talk about this in the book, that Mm -hmm. is a a risk factor for you getting osteoporosis. However, some people may conclude, oh, well, that means it's inherited. It's just genetic. Well, there there are no genes that have been discovered that that can predict that somebody is going to get osteoporosis. There's no causal Mm -hmm. effect that have been. There are many genes involved in bone Mm -hmm. health. It's a complex tissue. What we do know, however, is that lifestyle and diet and exercise are inheritable, meaning studies have shown that typically people grow into adults and adopt the diet, lifestyle, and exercise patterns that they were raised with as children. And that may actually be what is inherited because what we know is that the older we get, the more important diet, lifestyle, and lifestyle are to the development of chronic diseases than genetics. And so it's really modifying those behaviors that is more important than whether or not your mother had it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that, and that, and that makes a lot of sense actually, Um, you know, for all the things that they've, that, that, that have been coming out with being recommended as far as exercise and what you eat and all of that makes a lot lot more sense than it and and what we know is a standard american diet is a risk factor for osteoporosis it tends to be high for everything yes for everything heart disease (laughs) diabetes cancer dying early for all of that and for damaging bone and osteoporosis and that is high in in packaged foods pro-inflammatory foods, low in micronutrients like vitamins and minerals that our bodies need. In fact, when you're eating 
flour, you know, grains that have been processed into flour, that refining process strips away, you know, 80% of the B vitamins and, you know, 60, 70% of the minerals from that's in the natural whole food. And so Mm -hmm. just switching into a Mediterranean dietary pattern, that Mediterranean plant forward diet with plenty of protein, that dietary mm-hmm. pattern has been associated with 20% reduction in osteoporosis and a reduction wow. in fracture risk. So diet wow. is a huge determinant of health. And as people, you know, I'm a believer of let's control what we can control. You have to yeah. eat every day. So you're either eating with every forkful, you're either feeding your disease or, or yeah. you are promoting and boosting your health. And so moving towards a healthier diet, if you're not already there is, is crucial, not just for bone health, but for every aspect of our health exercise, crucial moving your body. You Mm -hmm. don't have to go to the gym and pump iron. There've been studies showing, you know, Qigong and yoga Uh uh, can improve Uh a bone density, but even walking, there's this myth out there that you have to walk 10,000 steps a day, which for me, (laughs) I always felt a little overwhelming. I kept yeah. looking for the research and finally somebody decided to, to, to study it and say, Hey, is this really true? It's not true. In fact, I, I laugh. I, I be thinking back when I heard about this, uh-huh. that recommendation of 10,000 steps a day was invented by a Japanese watch company looking to market their watch. Oh, it no. had nothing to do with science or physiology or medicine. Or, or what anything, the research yeah. shows is that if you walk an average of 7,000 to 7,500 steps a day, there is a uh-huh. decrease association with a decrease in all cause mortality of 50 to 70%. It seems to wow. plateau the benefits at 7,500 steps a okay. day. So it doesn't okay. have to be 10,000 steps a day. Just getting out and walking is fantastic yeah. parking yeah. and it's cumulative. It doesn't have to be in one st- setting, you know, s- parking further away in the parking lot from oh, the, yeah. the door My to the store. That's, that's his favorite. Yeah. yeah. 95% of fractures occur because somebody falls. So anything we can do yeah. to reduce the risk of somebody falling is important. So balance exercises are important as well. Uh, I like the stork exercise for people. And that is stork says you may, uh, no, you are famous for standing on one leg and yeah, what you can do true. while you brush your teeth is just, I'm doing it now. You can't really see stand uh-huh. on one leg while you brush the bottom teeth. That's one minute, right? And then you switch to the other leg for the second minute and you uh-huh. do that. So that's two minutes total. You're working a little bit of your core muscles, your stabilizers and your pelvis and your legs okay. and improving okay. your balance. And you can do that twice a day. Hopefully you're brushing your teeth twice a day. Oh, and yes. you can steady oh, yeah. yourself on the, on the sink. If you, if you need it on the counter for a little while, yes, but then when that, that, be smart. when that becomes <laughs> easy to do, switch mm-hmm. to your non-dominant hand and test yourself, give your nervous system a bit more of a challenge. Uh-oh. And so there are simple recommendations that I provide in the book and I provide uh-huh. blogs on my website that how people yeah. can work exercise into their daily okay. routines. And it's important okay. to know that if you have osteoporosis, exercise can actually be dangerous. It can increase mm. your risk for fracture mm. if not done correctly. Mm. So finding somebody, if you're going to work with a trainer who understands Mm -hmm. how to work safely with somebody with osteoporosis is important or getting some extra resources in the terms of books or guidance is important. 
So we talked about, you know, diet. We talked about exercise. Getting enough sleep is oftentimes not discussed when it comes to osteoporosis, but what we know is, or a lot of other things, you know, sleep deprivation, insomnia, not Mm -hmm. getting enough sleep will increase blood pressure risk, diabetes risk, heart disease risk. It also increases the risk for osteoporosis. So making sure you're not, you're getting enough sleep is important. Making sure you have social connections. That's often, Mm -hmm. again, not talked about. There's, a, there's been an associate studies have, have looked at this issue with bone health and seen shown that if somebody has strong social connections and a strong social network, they, if they do fracture, they heal faster from the fracture and they're less likely to get osteoporosis. So uh-huh. that is an important piece of the puzzle from a holistic point of view. And then, of course, there, there are nutrients, dietary supplements that clinical trials have shown can not only boost bone density, but mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, bone density is not a great marker of bone strength, right. but also maintain strong bones as indicated by fewer fractures in clinical trials. Ah, okay. Okay. Bef- like- so there- Great. So there are only four nutrients that have been shown to do that. Calcium and vitamin okay. D have been shown to reduce fractures by about uh, 18 to 23%. Uh, okay. There's a specific form of vitamin K2 called MK4. People who yep. are familiar with bone support Oh, MK4, not MK7. MK4. And I was going to mention it. Right. So there are two forms found in dietary supplements, yeah. MK7 and MK4. MK, the clinical trials on MK7 shows that it slows down the loss of bone density, but doesn't increase bone density. But more importantly, there are no studies, zero, with fractures as the endpoint in the clinical trial, showing that MK7 actually maintains strong bones as indicated by fewer fractures. In contrast, MK4, also a form of vitamin K2, but they're not the same molecule. They're different. They have different molecules. So they have different activities in the body. There are over 25 clinical trials with MK4 showing Mm -hmm. repeatedly that not only does it uh, promote healthy bone density and can increase bone density, but there are uh, five clinical trials at least that have looked at fractures as the endpoint for bone Mm -hmm. strength and shown that MK4 maintains strong bones as indicated by up to 76% fewer fractures in clinical trials. There've been three meta-analyses that have pooled the data and looked at this uh, as well and concluded that MK4 is the only form of vitamin K2 shown to actually maintain bone strength. MK7 has not been shown to do that. And it has to be in the dose of 45 milligrams per day. That's what's been studied. It's been so well studied that, that since 1995, it's been approved by the Ministry of Health in Japan for bone health. Wow. And then the fourth nutrient is strontium. Strontium is available in some European countries as a medication in the form of strontium Uh, ranolate. In the US, it's available as a dietary supplement, typically in the form of strontium citrate. There are no clinical trials on strontium citrate showing that it is safe or effective. Now it may be effective and it may be safe, but all we have are the clinical trial data on the strontium ranolate. And so let's Mm -hmm. let's talk about that. There are six clinical trials that have been published on strontium ranolate with, Mm -hmm. for bone health and looked at fractures. Five Mm -hmm. of the six trials showed that it only um, prevented 
fractures of the spine. It did not prevent fractures of the hip. Only one study also showed hip fracture prevention. So the majority of the data shows similar to the medications that they don't prevent both vertebral and hip fractures. Interesting. Okay. But also important with the strontium is that it creates false bone density test results. So it's a mineral. It's heavier than calcium. So it incorporates into the bone. Uh-huh. And, an, and the bone density test is an x-ray. The x-ray goes into the bone and bounces off the minerals. The angle at which it bounces off the minerals is called the refractive index. And the machine picks that up and it creates its mathematical magic and spits out the results in the form of wow. a T-score. Okay. I never knew but what it, can't, it was. Yeah. It can't correct for strontium in the US because it's not a medication. It's not part of their, their uh. Uh, the, the machine algorithms. And so the, the bone density tests are not accurate. Now, despite the limitations of the bone density test, I personally want them to be accurate. It is an important piece of information. Also importantly with strontium, a review of the safety data of strontium ranulate was conducted and published. They looked at European regulatory data and clinical trial data, and they determined that for every one person that was helped by preventing a fracture with strontium ranulate, They expect one person to get a dangerous blood clot that can create a pulmonary embolism, a stroke, or a heart attack. Okay. And for for that reason, I am not a fan of strontium for all of those reasons. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll stop taking that. Um. (laughs) And and, and frankly, you know, to get that, that, the, the benefits that, that, that incredible, you know, 70, plus percent improvement or maintenance of, of bone strength com- mm-hmm. uh, with the MK4, the only other nutrients that were used in those studies was calcium and vitamin D. So magnesium, okay. which is commonly found in the bone support dietary supplements, it's never been shown to maintain strong bones. Um, boron never been shown to maintain strong mm-hmm. bones. Now, those are important nutrients and they're important to get yeah. through diet yeah. and maybe through a multivitamin. Right. But when we're looking at what does the research show specifically targeted at the clinical endpoint of bone strength, mm-hmm. it's just the calcium, the vitamin D and the MK4 that have the strongest clinical trial data and mm-hmm. safety data on them. Okay. So let me ask you about something that I've read and it, and it could be totally wrong, which has to do with calcium, mm-hmm. which is that it also ends up a lot in your blood vessels, I think it was. Great point. So the safety of calcium is a really interesting question and it's gotten yeah. a lot more, uh, I've been getting a lot more questions about that recently. Our, our mm-hmm. current knowledge is that taking up to a thousand milligrams a day as, of calcium as a dietary supplement is safe. Okay. The now, the the position statement of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation and the American Society for Preventive Cardiology okay. is that taking up to the, 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 the safe limit as indicated by the National Academy of Medicine of 2,000 okay. to 2,500 milligrams per day of calcium should be considered safe. Now, hmm. the challenge for people, and what I think a lot of doctors don't even understand, 
the recommendation of calcium and how much to take and what's the safe amount to take that's from all sources, both diet and dietary supplements. Now the USRDA for calcium is 1200 to 1500 milligrams per day. There is no indication that above 1200 milligrams per day, you get improved benefits for the bone. And the average American diet for a woman provides about 800 milligrams of calcium. So if someone's eating better Mm -hmm. than the average American, Mm -hmm. they're getting 1,000, 1,200 milligrams of calcium from their diet. And then they're taking a dietary supplement that has Mm -hmm. another Mm 1,000 milligrams of calcium in it per day. That's too much calcium. My OsteoK Mini's product that I formulated provides 400 Uh milligrams of calcium because for the, and for most people that should be sufficient. Uh And in fact, there's clinical trials with the MK4 with a higher amount of calcium and a lower amount Mm -hmm. of calcium. And despite the the difference in the the amount of calcium, the the results were essentially the same. It's that MK4 nutrient that's really pushing that calcium into the bones, but also activating uh, multiple genes within bone that produce bone collagen that help modulate inflammation Uh in the bone, in the body. Uh And so it has multiple activities and the calcium is supportive, but most women, most Mm -hmm. people, although the indications are currently that up to a thousand milligrams of calcium as a dietary supplement are safe, really don't need that much. Need that much. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I've read, and um, you can tell me whether you've seen this or not, <clears throat> is that the MK7 helps to keep the calcium out of your blood vessel. So um, I don't know of any human clinical trials that show that. Okay. All right. So that is, that is based on, there's one animal study of MK with MK4 that showed some benefit. I believe there's an animal mm-hmm. study with MK7. Um, I, I do believe that the, uh, the research is probably stronger with MK7, but I still believe it's a bit theoretical than it is with, mm-hmm. M, you know, mm-hmm. than stronger than MK4 for that indication, specifically uh-huh. for bone health. If you're looking at bone health, uh, there is uh, no comparison in terms of clinical trial right. data. MK4 yeah. is the nutrient in is the form right. of vitamin K2 in the dose of 45 milligrams per day to be taken. Yeah. yeah. No, what I, what I read with the MK7 had nothing to do with getting into the bone. It just had to do with <clears throat> getting into the blood vessels and that's a negative. Well, yeah. So it, was... it activates both forms of vitamin K activate a uh, uh, protein <clears throat> called matrix, matrix glycoprotein or MGP. Oh, okay. um, and modulate another one called okay. uh, MMP matrix metalloproteinase. Mm. And those are uh, involved in, especially the MMP and in calcification of the arteries. So, you know, like there's some yeah. indication that maybe benefit, there are no uh, clinical trials, um, yeah. right. you know, randomized clinical trials showing yeah. that. So, right. And, and exactly. That's, that's part of the problem, right? Is that there's all these other studies floating around, but they're not necessarily up to the, excuse me, up to the level of. Um, yeah. What we do know though, with, with, a, you know, coronary, coronary uh-huh. artery calcification is that it's mm-hmm. a multi-step process. And the first step okay. in that process is inflammation. 
inflammation and free radicals mm. damage lipids. It damages cholesterol that, that, mm. it, or damages, I should say, it, it, it creates free radical damage that damages the lining of the artery. And then um, that activates okay. the immune system that recruits cells of the immune system macrophages that go in and consume that LDL, the lipoprotein, the cholesterol that's mm-hmm. gone in there essentially to patch the damage and it, okay. and it gobbles it up. And that's what starts the process of calcifications. And so oh, really the underlying mechanism of coronary artery calcification is chronic uh-huh. inflammation. And again, it goes back to eating a healthy anti-inflammatory diet, that Mediterranean dietary pattern, getting right. enough sleep, eating lots of fruits and vegetables. And exercising. And exercising. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how we always end up back at that. It always that goes time. back to that. Yeah, yeah the foundation. Exactly. That's the foundations of health. Yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of us are... Um, What's the right word? I don't know. We fall for a lot of these articles and all these magazines with all the supplements in it. And well, stuff and, and like I, that. I, one of my one of my missions and one of my goals is to help educate people about what are the questions they can ask, so they can be savvy mm-hmm. consumers about dietary supplements. It's a huge industry, sixty billion dollar oh industry God, yes. in the U.S. So there are yeah. bad actors out there, like any industry, and there are reputable, excellent companies out there. What mm-hmm. I recommend people look for is not that they're citing, um, you know, in vitro or test tube data or molecular studies, but are they citing clinical trials? Are they actually citing anything? Like if they make a claim, a health claim, what's the study where, is there a citation there? And then is it really the most relevant thing that they're citing? Is it something that's a surrogate marker, which means it's a surrogate marker is a blood test. It's not really clinically the thing mm-hmm. that we're most concerned about. So for example, cholesterol is a blood mm-hmm. class that's a surrogate marker for somebody's risk for a heart attack. A bone mm-hmm. density test is a surrogate marker for somebody's risk for fracture. Well, so, But the most important thing is, are there clinical trials on the nutrients or combinations mm-hmm. of nutrients for yeah. the most relevant thing that you're trying to work on? The, the most relevant part about your health you're trying to support Uh and promote. Uh For example, maintaining Uh strong bones. The biggest indicator of whether bones are strong is whether or not you break a bone. That's the most direct indicator. So are there clinical trials on that? With respect then to the dosage, are they Mm -hmm. using the dosages Mm -hmm. in their products that were used in the clinical trials? In fact, this whole conversation that we're having now is the underpinning and is the entire foundation and reason why I started my company NBI because Mm -hmm. in my clinic, I couldn't find the dose or combination of nutrients Mm. in existing products that were shown to work and that I needed for my patients. And so I created the solutions to help them and to help Mm -hmm. people beyond the walls of just my clinic. Okay. Okay. No, that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, I'm, I'm assuming that that's why quite a few doctors have started their own lines of, of, um, of vitamins. So I, there are lots in, of reasons you know, why people different, do it. Yeah, different, and different lines, right? Depending on what 
area their specialty is. So like, like any industry, medicine is no different. There are some practitioners who are more scrupulous and there are some who are less. There are lawyers that are better lawyers and some of that are worse. Doesn't matter. It's everything. Doctors are no different. I can tell you, I mean, I know, (laughs) I know doctors who started a line of dietary supplements and just private labeled them. Mm-hmm. They didn't formulate them themselves. They mm. just got it from a manufacturer, put their label on it oh and God. marketed okay. it because yeah. they thought it was a way to create passive income for themselves. But uh, so just because it was started by a doctor doesn't mean the formulations are quality true. formulations. That's yeah. why it goes back to evaluating what are the research studies on mm-hmm. the nutrients and are they using the doses shown in the studies to work? Right. Yeah. I know the um, the other thing that that I look at a lot is um, Consumer Lab. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am familiar with Consumer Lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they seem to do a lot of good work on calling out a lot of these um, supplements that are either don't have in them what they're supposed to have, or say they have, or not don't do anything to help. You know that there aren't any studies behind it. Um, so that's that's kind of my go-to research <laughs> place before I look at before I look at buying things because I buy way too many supplements as it is. Um, <laughs> so okay, so our just out of curiosity, then we can kind of wrap this up. We're getting towards the end of our time. Um, are the numbers? going up for the percentages of, of people with osteoporosis? You so know, since like it's, a, since 10, a condition that years. affects people as they, as they age and the right. population is aging, the numbers are yes. increasing, but it's not just a matter of aging more and more mm-hmm. Americans are taking medications. So one of the mm-hmm. things we saw during COVID is that the, the, pers- the number of specific, particularly women who were prescribed the antidepressant medications uh, went up. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. So le- antidepressant medications, specifically those that increase serotonin, damage mm-hmm. bone and increase fracture risk. And most doctors aren't aware of that. There have been multiple studies that have looked at this. Uh, two meta-analyses that were, were done on all the research. One of them mm-hmm. concluded that for every 19 patients taking an SSRI medication, like Prozac, for example, we, for one to five years, we will expect one of those people to have a fracture, to break a bone. Another study determined that it was about, I think for every 45 or 48 patients taking it, we would expect someone to break a bone, regardless of what it is. It's too many patients. So anything, even the, the SNRI medications, those that, Mm -hmm. that also elevate norepinephrine, if it, if it elevates serotonin, it increases, it damages bone because there are, there are serotonin receptors on the cells in bones. And in fact, uh-huh. the majority of serotonin is not produced in the brain, it's produced in the gut. And so when you're artificially increasing the amount of serotonin, it changes the balance of serotonin that's naturally occurring in the bone and it affects the behavior of the cells and it cr- starts to create a bone breakdown. 
and it increases the risk of osteoporosis and fractures. Acid blocking medications is another common medication, not on most doctors' radars. The proton pump inhibitors, for example, increase the, is associated with an increased hip fracture rate of about 40% after taking it for four years. And even after a year, you start to see an increase in risk. The US FDA, their first warning about proton pump inhibitors and fracture risk was back in uh, 2010. So this is mm-hmm. not new information. Right. Yeah. No, I do. I do remember that. Um, yeah. Interesting. And in fact, a study looked at women who entered the hospital with an osteoporosis fracture. They looked at the medications they were taking in the three months before they broke a bone. And then the medications they were taking after they were discharged from the hospital. Uh And they were wondering, okay, did the medications that increase their fracture risk, were they taken off of them? Was there, Mm. was there a benefit uh, when they left the hospital because their medications were changed. What they found was over 70% of the patients who broke a bone were taking one or more medications that increased their fra- osteoporosis or fracture risk. And when they left the hospital, some of them were taken off of the more common medications that are known okay. and most physicians known damaged bone like prednisone. But then mm-hmm. they were put on other medications that increase osteoporosis and fracture risk. So overall, there was no net benefit. Wow. It's a huge blind <laughs> spot within bad. the medical community. So that's why in my book, there's a whole chapter on medication-induced osteoporosis. So people can talk to their doctors about, you need to check your yeah. medicine cabinet, say, look, are any of these medications on, on the lists that have shown to damage bone? Because you may be able mm-hmm. to take a lower dose or switch to a safer medication. Not all cat, not all types of antidepressant medications have been found to damage bone. So there are safer ones to take if you need to be on a medication, but also if you work with a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine Mm -hmm. doctor, you, or look at nutritional medicine and ways to deal with mood, you know, there may be ways to actually get off the antidepressant. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and for some people, my mother included, um, putting her on those medications were just like they throw threw her over the cliff. Every time they would try and put her on one of those medications, she can't say it any better way. She would try and kill herself, literally. On an antidepressant medication? Well, it wasn't a good fit for her. Look, these, these no, medications- No, it obviously was not. Yeah. <laughs> these medications, when used properly, can be absolutely life-saving okay. and an important, yes. uh, important therapeutic approach. But it's like I anything. Agree. It's not- Every medication is not a good fit for every patient in yeah. every situation. Uh, no, and I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, but, but I'm just saying, but everybody, I mean, and I, I have reactions to medications as well. You yeah, know? well and the, but the challenge so, is, and I think, uh, as a consumer of medicine, most people are going to a conventionally trained doctor in a conventional right. clinic. And, and really that's all they have at their disposal. It's, it's, it's drugs or surgery primarily, and they're not trained in nutritional medicine. They're not trained and educated to have these more complicated, uh, Mm -hmm. nuanced conversations or understanding what are the gold standards and testing, because there are, uh, nutrient deficiencies that are associated with depression 
and nutrients mm-hmm. that can be tested for and corrected mm-hmm. if they're deficient and they're not being tested mm-hmm. for. And this yep. is actually yep. a, a, a good topic to, to really bring in about osteoporosis because a study mm-hmm. was, was conducted in Europe a few years ago that asked the question, how do doctors feel about treating osteoporosis? Why is it so undertreated? Why are people not getting screened for it over there? It's not being screened for well enough, just like in the U S but mm-hmm. what they found, and I don't believe it's any different is the doctors in the European country that they looked at mm-hmm. said that they weren't sure how to interpret the test results. They mm-hmm. weren't sure which medications to use are best. They weren't comfortable having mm-hmm. conversations about diet or dietary supplements or exercise mm-hmm. and because it was outside of their, their yeah. education. Yeah. And right. also then there was pressure to see a lot of patients during the day because of reimbursement and how they're paid, what the financial structure of the healthcare system is. And having these conversations about diet, lifestyle, other holistic things people can do, it takes time. It doesn't fit neatly into a 12 or 15 minute appointment. And so for all those reasons, and I don't believe it's any different in the US, this is a tragedy that is unfolding and continues to uh, unfold where people Mm -hmm. are not getting screened. They're not getting treated appropriately. They're not having the, the, the necessary conversations with their healthcare provider or getting the information they need to be as protected and proactive as they can be, which is why I was so passionate about putting my head down for over a year and writing this book to get this information out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's not a new, it's, it's really not a new situation. I mean, I think the last 30 or 40 years is it's been pretty much the same and if nothing else, just getting worse. Yep. Unfortunately, unfortunately. So on that happy note, <laughs> well, the, the happy note is there's a lot of things people can do there. Yes, you you yes. can be empowered. There are, there is, yeah. there are ways that are backed and informed by the research where uh-huh. you can improve your bone health. You can reduce yeah. your fractures. You can take charge of your own health. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the beautiful thing is that all of these strategies that are holistic that improve mm-hmm. bone health, they also have been shown to be healthy for your, your heart and for your blood sugar uh, regulation and for your brain. It uh-huh. is, it helps all aspects of your body. For sure. For sure. And I'm sure as well that the, the mainstream medical is not, you know, would your regular doctor would be very happy to have that kind of help. People are taking my book with them to their doctor's appointments. Yeah. Um, right. They're saying how that their doctors are, are, are happy to have the conversations yeah. with them. They're grateful to have the information. I have doctors who are buying the book and putting that in their waiting room for patients to, to Good. read while they're, they're, they're waiting. Good. Um, I'm being invited. There are about, I think, six medical conferences that I've been invited to speak All at right. just this year uh, to uh-huh. help get this information out, help doctors understand mm-hmm. what they can do better. So mm-hmm. both from the consumer point of view and from a you know professional colleague uh, perspective, yeah. you know, we're trying, I'm trying to move the needle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I didn't mean to demean the regular AMA 
medical. So the the, a, the AMA is not are not, the... are not doctors in on the ground. The majority of physicians in this country are not members of the American Medical Association. Oh, My okay. colleagues who are conventionally like trained uh-huh. doctors overwhelmingly have their heart in the right place, want to do yeah. good work, but right. they're hampered by their education. We all have blind spots in our education, yeah, right? I do course. too. Everybody does. But more and more, they're wanting to practice in integrative settings. They're wanting Mm -hmm. to learn more about this information. The healthcare setting, unfortunately, the financial model of healthcare is still not to the point where it can be truly integrative medicine, but hopefully it's moving more and more in that way, in that direction. Mm -hmm. But my MD and DO colleagues are practicing in the conventional healthcare system are grateful when when they have this information. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I, I would agree that the majority, vast majority of people who go into medicine are doing it because they want to help people. Yeah. Their heart's um, in the right place for sure. Yeah. They're good people. Yeah. 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 No, no, I agree. And I was not trying to, to say any, any differently. <laughs> it just takes a little while to find one that you, that you, you know, that you get along with. I've well, and that's an important point because it, it is a service industry, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I also tell people, look, not everybody is, is like, I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, you need to find out who, who you jive with, who you resonate yeah. with. And if that's you're right. not getting the service from your practitioner, then fire them. Like that's your right. You're the consumer. They that's work right. for you. I see it when I, when, with patients that I've worked with, yeah. I see it as I'm their employee. I'm working for them. Yeah. Right. And my job is, is to help them. And yeah. so if you're not getting the service and the help that you want, it's up to you because nobody's going to that's advocate right. for your health as well as you that's can right. to go and find Thank some, you. the resources and the people that will give you what you need. Yeah. Oh no, I I totally agree. And I think now, that a, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't think that they're allowed to do that. But getting what you need and here's a little antidote uh-huh. may not always be what you want to hear. I had a patient years true. ago coming to me who uh-huh. had um had a cardiac issue. Uh And he wanted me to fix it. He assumed I'm a naturopathic doctor. So, you know, I would give him some alternative and, um, and I, and he got very angry with me because I looked at his, his um, EKG. I looked at the, the notes from the cardiologist that he brought in. I looked at the diagnosis. I looked at the severity of the condition. He was Mm -hmm. being recommended surgery by the cardiologist. And Mm -hmm. I told him he needs to go have surgery or he's going to mm-hmm. die. It was that serious. There was nothing uh-huh. I could do. Yeah. And he was actually having symptoms of, yeah. of, of cardiac issues that could have been fatal. Oh and he was yeah. not wanting to go have surgery. So he got angry with me, but I told him what the truth was. Yeah. That's different though, from a doctor saying to you, you go in with a diagnosis of osteoporosis or a doctor saying to you, Diet doesn't matter. I've had literally, I, I had a surgeon once say to me, it doesn't matter what people eat. That's a red flag because that's just not based on the research, 
right? But if you're not getting, you're always entitled to go get a second or a third opinion. It may be that the first opinion was correct. But if you think that there's other options out there, go look for them. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes you want to do that even if you do believe the first one, just just because. Sure. Depends on what it is, right? How serious. And there are things, right. I mean, the cardiac uh, issue that I mentioned that that was a mm-hmm. serious emergency type issue. Mm-hmm. What I write about in my book and I tell people with osteoporosis is it's scary to get a diagnosis of osteoporosis. And I get people all the time coming to me. They're afraid they've got their, they've just got their bone density test results. The f- first thing I do, or one of the first things I do is ask them to just take a breath, say, this is not an emergency. There is time to educate yourself, to learn the information, to put together a holistic plan and and get the information you need to make the best decisions for yourself. This is not an emergency. And and turn it around. And turn it around. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and if you ignore it, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Not a good thing at all. No. Yep. So want to thank you for sure. This has been full of enlightening information. And I've, I have to say that I have spent a lot of time over the past probably 15, 20 years, you know, reading about osteoporosis and I've learned a lot from our time together today. So I will definitely be going out to get your book. Um, And um, also to say that, and I always feel funny saying this, depending on who my guests are, is that this is not to be seen as medical advice because my, I'm not given any medical advice here. Yep. And, um, Absolutely. That, people should consult with their doctors. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And usually I say neither of us are medical, are medical doctors, but you have a, a pretty good claim to, to, so I'm not a medical doctor, but, but I'm a licensed this. naturopathic doctor licensed there to, to okay. practice medicine in the state of California and diagnose and treat. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a naturopathic yeah. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And this is still just a podcast. This is not, That's great. you know, <laughs> but, but people can go find out more, learn more. Yeah. There's lots of free health resources, blogs, information uh, on there that they can take to their doctors, that they can uh-huh. help this learn what they can do for their own health as well. Yep. Uh, on my website, nbihealth.com. Um, so people can go find out more. I get more information there as well. Good. I was just getting ready to ask you what your website is. I will <laughs> put that in the show notes. Um, so along with a link to the book. Um, okay. So as I usually end up saying, which is that I will be seeing everybody next week. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.